beneath that layer, beneath that surface is the common human experience, right? We all go through struggle. We all go through suffering at times, pain at times, and we all experience joy and we all experience the wonders, the richness, the riches of life. And that's where we can bond on that human journey that we all experience in our own unique way. And that's what this music does. It opens up that emotional portal for us to connect. Welcome to Living As You. I'm Patrick Quinn, a brain enthusiast, mental health advocate, and aspiring medical professional. And I'm here today to break down the stories behind the curtain, the moments of inspiration, the defining moments of our lives, and the shaping influences that have led inspiring leaders to live a life authentically to themselves. This week on Living As You, our conversation is with pianist, composer, and entrepreneur, Murray Hideri. Founder of the Mind Travel Foundation and Underwater Floating Meditations, Murray began his musical journey in Brooklyn, New York at the age of six, where he began playing a variety of instruments. Encouraged by his parents, he continued his pursuit of music at NYU after first taking an eight-month leave of absence his freshman year to go bike around the world. He ended up majoring in music and composition after a four-year experience of formal education. From NYU, Murray went on to co-found a variety of businesses before creating Mind Travel in 2014. For the past seven years, Murray has been providing music through this Mind Travel experience to thousands of individuals worldwide in a variety of outdoor nature settings. Currently, he is focused on sharing these immersive musical experiences with elderly homes, hospitals, addiction centers, as well as anyone open to experiencing the language of the universe. He's a skilled photographer, three-time marathoner, and creator of multiple symphonies. Enjoy our conversation today with Murray Hideri. Murray, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm actually in Miami. My first trip in a year. I got the vaccine and uh, and then I jumped on a plane. And <laughs> so I'm down here in Miami for a little bit, seeing some family and stuff and then heading back to LA. Where are you, where are you living? Fantastic. So I'm out in Las Vegas right now. Oh, great. I'm from Portland, Oregon. I've been there with my family the last 10 years. I ended up graduating from college from Notre Dame about a year ago and thinking about pursuing pursuing medicine because I've had three hip surgeries and a million injuries. Oh, wow. For the, for the time being, there's this foundation down here that I really believe in. They're helping youth from some tough backgrounds. So I said, hey, middle of the pandemic, let's come down here, do something you believe in. And on the side, have some fun getting to talk with some epic people like you. So just so wow, grateful amazing. to be sharing time with you this morning. Likewise, likewise. I bet the pandemic, like put myself in your shoes, has probably allowed you to look at mind travel and some of the other incredible entrepreneurial pursuits you've had in a whole new light and say, okay, when we come out of this, I mean, obviously we were, we were rocking over here, but what are even some additions that we can even have it? So it's just like a rocket. I bet you've really been able to think things through even in a greater way you've ever experienced. Oh, completely. And yeah, we can talk about that. I mean, it's, it's really been in many ways, a tremendous gift because you know, as much as I love touring and going out and being with people through the music, uh, there's something really powerful, Patrick, about going internal, going inside and having the space for that reflection. And to really, you know, with music, especially, you know, it, it requires, you know, being a composer, half of it is outperforming my music in front of people, but the other half is going inside and creating that space. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a very alone experience. Again, it's not a lonely experience, but it's an alone experience, right? Where I go, I go within to tap into what I want to express, to really connect with that inner source. Uh, and that's where ultimately I hope the music comes from, right? So it's not superficial. It's actually coming from someplace deeper, someplace deeper emotionally, someplace deeper spiritually maybe, but some deeper understanding of 
my own existence um, and kind of the universe in general. So having the space in the last year to do that, like I've, I've created so many new recordings and compositions and, um, and it just allowed me the time to do that inner research. When, when did you first realize that for you, at least, music is an internal experience that you're kind of expressing outward? You know, for me, uh, I started playing when I was really young. I was five years old. So I was uh, five years old. I played the cello. That was the first instrument that, you know, my parents put in my hands. And I used to go take my lessons and perform in school and kindergarten, literally performing. Um, and then piano when I was six years old. And I was, I had a very... Uh, I had a vast internal world as a kid. Uh, my imagination was always running like most kids, but really I had a very, you know, a very extended internal experience. And I was pretty shy as a young kid. And so I, speaking and, and, and expressing myself verbally was not my natural mode of expression. And to just deal with stuff, I, I don't know, I would just sit at the piano I didn't even think of it kind of now we're reflecting on it so I can analyze it. But back then it was just kind of what I did. It was very natural to sit at the piano. And I just loved not even playing any pieces that I was studying. It was just kind of tinkering around and, and just playing with the sounds. And eventually that became more and more sophisticated. So that by the time I was in high school, um, I knew I wanted to be a composer. I knew I had something to say, you know, with music. So it really became a mode of expression for me to really express the, the angst, the, you know, just stuff you're dealing with as a, as a young person, you know? And uh, the piano was my, was my really, my safe space, my personal space. It was part of the house where, you know, none of my family was in. I could just go into the front room and everyone else was back in the kitchen or somewhere else. And I just had my own little, little time there. And I grew up, you know, in a, in a big house with lots of, you know, I've got a lot of siblings and it was just, it was always a, bu a busy, loud house. So, the music room was always my space. What did you feel like you could express through piano or music that maybe when you were younger, you couldn't quite express through communication, verbally, or in other yeah. ways? I always felt a kind of melancholy in a way. I had a great childhood, but at the same time, I felt this, I felt a bit out of place. I felt a bit misplaced, you know, like I didn't really necessarily belong here or there. Um, it had to do with growing up in a religious background. It had to do with, you know, being part of kind of a, a couple different groups, school and home. And, and um, it, it was a bit confusing. And so I didn't really feel like I was grounded in belonging fully. Right. And, you know, we're using kind of fancier terminology now, but back then it just felt like I was alone, you know, it really just felt that way. And uh, I had a I had very much an alone experience, even with all these people around me, right? Even with lots of brothers and even with, you know, my family and extended family and lots of family gatherings and, you know, school. And I had friends. I was, you know, it was actually, I was popular. It wasn't that, but it was like, I didn't really feel like I fully fit in with this group of friends or that group of friends. So socially alone, you know, even though I was very socially integrated, I still didn't feel fully myself in in any of these groups. And I didn't feel like, I just didn't feel great in my own skin in these groups. So I had to just resort to my own self. And I needed a companion for that. And music became my companion on that, on that path, on that road. And I, and I bet that sense of feeling, I, I don't, again, I don't want to use the word lonely, but maybe feeling like, ah, where, where am I trying to fit in? I bet that's really what started your journey at looking internally and starting your journey with mindfulness. Am I correct? Yeah, it, it felt really out of place. And in a sense, there was a loneliness to it. I, I would for sure characterize it that way. Um, I, think, I think until you are honest, until I was honest with, with that loneliness, right? You can't really address it. You know, you can't, you can't channel it in some way until you just sit face to face with that loneliness, again, more of an existential one, because like I said, there was tons of people around me, but you can be in the busiest room, Patrick, right? And feel totally alone. And it doesn't matter, it's about being seen, it's about being heard, it's about being expressed. And I didn't feel that both in terms socially, but also kind of existentially, I didn't really resonate with 
the religious teachings that I was getting. It just didn't sit with me. You know, it just was like, okay, I, I get it, but it doesn't really make sense for me. It didn't really feel right for me. So I, I set out at a pretty young age, I would say 15, 16, I was really exploring. I was really looking, uh, searching for answers of, you know, what is this world about? Like, like, you know, the classic questions, right? Of who am I? Why am I here? Like, why are we, why is, why is anything here? And I didn't, I didn't get that satisfaction from the religious upbringing I had, or at least in the way it was presented. Cause you know, it's, it's only presented to a certain level of sophistication, you know, when you're that age, but I did, I did attempt it there, but it just didn't resonate. So I came upon Eastern philosophy, Eastern traditions like meditation and you know buddhist teachings and vedic teachings and you know zen teachings and i was very compelled by them i mean they really resonated with me because it wasn't about any god or any top down authoritative you know rules or anything like that it, it has it really has none of that it's you know there actually is no notion of a god that you pray to and that you worship, you know, in Buddhism, for instance, it's really more a philosophy than a religion, actually, when people really get to understand it. Uh, and so, you know, and again, Zen, the same thing, more of a Japanese influence on the Buddhist teachings, right, uh, and Chinese influence. So it really resonated with me that it was really about a, a state of consciousness, something that anyone can attain, something that was available to all of us. And it also reflected a very powerful and responsible relationship with nature and with everything around us, right? It wasn't divorced from that. It didn't make that secondary. So it really was um, appealing to me. And uh, I, I can remember reading the book Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, classic book, you know, uh, again, a Western a story from, you know, uh, from a, a German writer back in the, in the 20s. But you know, his interpretation of that spiritual coming of age, right? That spiritual journey of a young man, um, probably around the same age I was when I read it, right? Siddhartha, the, you know, about his story. The book really resonated with me. It's one of those books that you read and you're like, you feel like the book was written just for you, right? And, uh, and what's cool is that millions and millions of other people felt that way about this book as well, right? So it really set me off on this journey. And, uh, and eventually, so much so that not only was I voraciously reading and experiencing stuff, and again, this is before YouTube, there was no videos to watch, right? There was no, it was all, you really had to work to find information about this. There, there were books, uh, but fewer and far between than today. And there were no, you know, no websites to go to. It was pre-internet. It was pre-videos and all that. So, you know, you can get some videotapes maybe, but not really. It was really more about experiencing it firsthand by going to lectures. So I would sneak out and go to Manhattan from the house I grew up in Brooklyn and go sit in on, you know, lectures about these topics and meditations. And today, meditation and mindfulness is, is a word everyone pretty much is familiar with and and resonates with and gets the value of it and understands that it's not a religious thing. It's really more of a wellness and mental health thing and well-being. And but back then, right, it was very different. It was it was hard to even have a conversation with anyone. So you really had to want it. And I did. And uh, eventually, you know, went to Zen monasteries and and then traveled for you know better part of a year to really go on that journey and explore out east, out in Asia. But that's what I was going to ask you about. So you're a college student at NYU, and you're studying music, composition, all of that. And I think you took a, you took a semester school. Then you say, you know what? I need to take a leave of absence, and I need to go travel and go bike and go explore. Yeah. What was that experience like? And how did your pursuit of greater knowledge in regards to consciousness and mindfulness yeah. Um, influence your decision to take that leave of absence. So, you know, today we call it what a gap year, right? A lot of your friends, I'm sure, have taken gap years and, and leaves of absences. We, you know, we didn't call it that then. Back then it was just dropping out of school. So it, that's really what I did. I started NYU as a freshman and I thought it was going to be a whole new experience, a new portal, a new door wide open. It was in downtown Manhattan. I grew up in Brooklyn, which even though it's only about 40 minutes away, 
it felt like a universe away, right? Manhattan was all about possibility and Brooklyn to me was like the past. Like I wanted to get out of it as quickly as I could. It was, I just wanted to go out and see the world. And then I started at NYU, but I, as a freshman, you know, in some of those big classes, I really just felt like a number. I didn't really feel like I was getting what I wanted. And so I just had a lot of angst. I wanted to, to really see the world. I was thirsty. I was hungry for experience. And I just wanted to get out and see the world and not do it through books or lectures or anything like that. And so my kind of energy, my passion overwhelmed me. And I just, I, after the first semester, I just left. I didn't even tell them. I just like, I was like, I'm out. Okay, this is not for me. I packed um, a backpack and uh, I didn't even tell my family. I told nobody except for one close friend of mine. And I booked a one-way ticket and I said, I wanna go to the furthest place in the world from where I am today. Now, my, my thinking then was geography, kind of your geographic proximity uh, was directly tied to that angst, right? I was like, I need to get as far away as possible from where I grew up and just create, you know, a completely new path. And so I, I took one of those globes that you have on your desk. I right? love that. Actually, it was actually the one I got from my bar mitzvah when I was 13. And uh, I took it and I looked at Brooklyn, New York, and I was like, what's the furthest place on earth? And I looked at the other side of it and I saw, you know, the South Pacific, I saw Australia and New Zealand and you know, that whole region, I said, well, that's where I'm going. And I booked a one-way ticket and that's where I went. It wasn't until weeks and weeks later that my parents, you know, I, that I called back home to just let them know I was okay. Uh, I actually called my friend and he said that, you know, my parents had been calling like crazy and trying to figure out where I was because they thought I was at school and I wasn't. But I really, I knew they wouldn't allow the trip. So I just felt like I had to just um, stake my own flag in the ground and just do my own thing. And I did it with some of the money I had saved and I bought the ticket and I was just figuring it out. I was, you know, staying in hostels and camping and, you know, just working my way through that region. I ended up through a whole host of coincidences and synchronicities. I ended up in Fiji and living on an island in a village, a remote island in a village with about 140 people. And there was no electricity, no running water. Just, they just lived off the land. They bartered with other islands some of the most beautiful people I had ever met. And it was like this dream come true of feeling belonging in this village and living their life, waking up at five in the morning, going to the farms, to the fields, helping them, you know, in the fields, pick fruit and plant and harvest, and then taking a break in the heat of the day and then coming back together and talking all night, eating meals together, talking about life, sitting in a circle, and doing rituals with them. Um, when one person needed, needed a new home, again, all, you know, thatched roof, wood, bamboo, et cetera. They all helped build the home. I helped build the home with them. You know, it's just was so communal and so egalitarian. And it was just so beautiful, such a beautiful existence. I ended up staying there for four months in this village uh, until I said, okay, it's time to, to kind of keep, keep the journey going. And that's when I decided to do it by bicycle to go through these countries because traveling by train or, or plane or car, things move very fast. You know, they go by you very quickly. It's kind of like a movie. And if you see something that attracts your attention, it's very hard to stop and like investigate because you're just moving so fast. It just, you know, it's just you're not going to do it. But on a bicycle, you're actually moving fast enough to make some progress, but you can just pull over very easily say hi to somebody check something out a food stand a strange looking thing or you know whatever's there and that's what I did and I traveled over 10,000 miles through many countries on a bicycle with a little little pack and uh, it, give, it gave me lessons in connecting with people because when you travel by yourself you're forced to connect with everything around you you know you're not relying on buddies or you know the sense of humor you might have with your buddies right you actually have to connect with their sense of humor, with their way to communicate, with their language, with their culture, and rely on other people and not insulate yourself just with your friends or family or whatever. So it's, you know, and it was also a lesson in simplicity, because if you're riding a bicycle, you don't want to carry an extra pound of weight, right? So 
you're like, okay, what can I get rid of? And it was a constant process from day by day, week by week, I would shed more things until I ended up just with my tent, you know, my sleeping bag and, you know, one change of clothes. That's it. One. And, uh, and then of course, some food that I would carry. And really that's about it. And it was just an exercise in what minimal things you need to really, to really live and, and move through the world. That's incredible. That's so cool. That's so cool. I bet that sense of belonging that it sounds like you really started to feel when you were in some of these countries and that the pursuit or the, the, the way that you lived out kind of that minimalist lifestyle, like that definitely, I would have to say, translated to then when you come back to the States and you begin pursuing, obviously, entrepreneurship in music. How did your time biking throughout these countries, Australia, Fiji, yeah. New Zealand, and some of these lessons, this connection you did end up feeling, how did this shape your lens of the world when you did come back to the U.S.? Initially, it was a big shock, to be honest with you. It was a real culture shock to come back to New York. But I'll tell you that that year traveling was the greatest classroom, the greatest education I've probably had in my entire life. Okay. And, you know, I'm in my 40s. So it's, you know, it's, uh, it's been, I've been on the planet for a little while. And so that was probably the greatest education I had. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I, I recommend everyone do something like that. Again, traveling alone makes the big difference because, again, you're forced to interact with others, right? You're not staying in your own little cultural bubble with your buddies, you know? So, uh, but, that, but that connection I, I forged with so many different people and cultures was key. You know, even figuring out how to buy stuff and negotiate and haggle and, you know, figure out life as you move through these, you know, without having to rely on endless amounts of money because I had very limited budget. So you really have to be creative. I mean, I traveled from one place to another one time on a fishing boat, a Taiwanese commercial fishing boat, and I made friends with a guy and I got to hitch a ride on this tuna fishing boat. I mean, massive. And, uh, and I was on this boat for a little while. And then, you know, just all these little adventures along the way and connecting with people. But, you know, back to the uh, beginning part of our conversation, I felt that sense of disconnection as a kid. Even with all the incredible community and family around me, I still felt some disconnection because I, I wasn't really fully expressed and, and felt belong. Doing this trip gave me a whole new appreciation for what it means to connect and feel connection. And it's always available. That's the thing. But what I learned was that it was about what you put forth, right? It's not waiting for connection to come to you. It's actually initiating connection. It's engaging, sharing. It's being vulnerable to open up, share yourself, and then others share with you. And that's how connection is created. You know, as a kid, I was like in my own world and I was just waiting for others to draw me out, but that's not actually how it works. You know, if you want to be understood, you have to take the initiative to make others understand you. Um, so many of us grow up feeling misunderstood, feeling unseen, unheard. And so if we take responsibility for that and we do our best to, to express to the people in our lives, like, hey, this is what my life's about. This is what's important to me. We have a much better chance. It's certainly not guaranteed, but we have a much better chance at getting the people that matter to us to understand us better, or at least respect us and appreciate us in that way. They might not fully get it, but they, they certainly, it's certainly a better chance of having that. And when I came back to New York, you know, look, I didn't know when I was going to come back, Patrick, but I was in, uh, I was in the middle of Thailand at the time after, you know, most of this year. And I had this mission where I was looking for a, uh, a Thai flute maker. Uh, in Thailand, there's this really cool uh, instrument and it's, a, it's like a bamboo reed flute. Um, it sounds like a church organ, it's really wild. And I wanted to find this flute and I heard, I read about this flute maker who lives in a remote village in Northeast Thailand. Anyway, somehow, again, pre-internet, I found this guy on my bicycle. I rode to these villages and I would just ask people. And one after another, they led me into this kind of journey to find him. I found him in his hut where he builds these bamboo flutes. 
he didn't speak any English. I had a little dictionary I would use to speak broken Thai. And uh, I stayed with him for a day. He sold me one of his flutes. I think it was like maybe eight bucks for the flute. <laughs> you know, this beautiful, beautiful flute. And uh, he taught me how to play it a little bit. And then um, I slung it around my shoulder on my bicycle and I, I rode off. And I was sleeping in my tent in a, uh, in a rice paddy that night. Uh, again, there's no campground. There's no like place to go. And you just sleep wherever you can. So I just pulled over on the side of the road on my bike, found a little dry patch near some rice fields. And I uh, pitched my tent, looking at the stars through my tent. And I was like, I felt such a satisfaction, such a, uh, a sense of fulfillment, such a, uh, a groundedness. And I was like, I really accomplished what I really needed in this year. And in that, in that split second, I just was like, I'm done with this chapter. And the next day I woke up and then I went in a different direction and I went back to, rode my bike back to Bangkok, jumped on a plane, flew back and I showed up at NYU and I was like, uh, I'd like to come back to school. And they were like, where have you been? <laughs> and I was like, uh, well, well, actually, here's where I've been. And they were like, yeah, their mouth like dropped, their jaw dropped to the ground. They were like, what? And they, you know, they made an exception and they allowed me to re-enroll. And, and I said, you know what? I really want to now have that more formal education, especially because I knew I wanted to be a composer. And it's not the kind of thing you just kind of study on your own. It's really has a lot of technical elements to it. So I felt like I wanted to, now was the time to get the education, to get those technical skills. And, and, that's, what, and that's what I decided to do. So I, I went back to NYU and, and, and actually then had an amazing college experience because it was on my own terms. It almost seems like to me that that experience, when you share all of that, that is so cool. It's like you got to experience the realness of humanity. And there was just, it sounds like there were so many layers that oftentimes our society kind of get piled on when we look at the world. It's like all that was stripped away. It's just you, yeah. your bicycle, and the people and this earth. And it's yeah. like, even if you walk away from that, just with the idea, okay, this is life. This is an uh, uh, the authentic way of living. Like, it sounds to me like that was a very, very grounding experience in the year for you. And it's almost like that became your strength. That became your superpower that was injected into your veins. So when you went back into mainstream society, you were able to say, hey, these are these values. This, this is the life. This is the sense of belonging that I've been searching for my whole life. And now that I've had a taste it, I've seen it, I felt it, I've connected with other people on this level. Doesn't matter where I go, what I do in this world, I can always allow that to be my groundwork. Yeah. And you know, it, it forces you into a relationship of trust um, because especially now we live in a world where everyone's so cynical, skeptical, distrusting of others. And when you're out traveling like that, you're forced to trust others because you must rely on them for your own survival. Um, you know, I couldn't just, you know, stay in fancy hotels and fancy restaurants and kind of skim the surface of traveling, right? That's, that's not really traveling. That's like being a tourist. That's fine. You want to be a tourist, go be a tourist. But you want to travel. True traveling is cultural immersion. It's human immersion, connection. And, you know, you got to rely on people. That means you got to trust them. You know, Aristotle said that trust is a virtue because we must extend it in order to receive it, right? A lot of people think, oh, well, yeah, I will, I'll trust them if, you know, if, 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 if I see that they're trustworthy. You know, if they prove that they're trustworthy, then I can trust them. But no, Aristotle says, no, first extend trust. Open yourself up to being hurt, to being vulnerable, and then the trusted relationship is much more authentic. And then they show up and you've got a very deep relationship. So we have, you know, if we move through life in that trusting way, of course, being vigilant, being common sense, you know, we've got to be smart, of course, um, but it creates such a deep connection with others. And look, I mean, you know, I had crazy experiences too, as you can imagine. I mean, I, I, I mixed with the wrong folks in one country and ended up in the back seat of a car with some bad dudes 
and uh, four guys sitting around me in back seat, front seat, and wouldn't let me out of the car. And, you know, were probably going to mug me and, you know, who knows what, you know, they were going to do, beat me up or something. And somehow, you know, by some miracle, a cop saw this and maybe, you know, it was a small town. So he probably knew some of these guys pulled over the car and got me out of there. So there's always going to be close calls. So you got to be smart, but that's living, you know, that's living on the edge. And that's where possibility happens. That's where magic happens. Agreed. Agreed. And living is kind of, again, going out and trusting, trusting the people around you, trusting the universe, trusting that at the end of the day, it's all going to work out, even if you don't know how. So that's huge. I wanted to begin diving into your career, your profession, your experience more with music, and especially the way you brought mindfulness to music. When you compose, you're trying to capture the sound of the universe. With your experience, what is the sound of the universe? What is that energy? What does that entail throughout these years? How, how would you even begin to describe yeah. it? It's, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, I believe that any pursuit that any of us has in life starts with the right questions. If you can ask the right questions, then the attempt at the answer can be profoundly rewarding. Music, for me, it's like, well, the grandest thing would be for music to reflect, quote unquote, the sound. And I say quote sound because, of course, we know that out in space, right, it's totally silent because it's a vacuum. And sound actually needs a medium to travel through. It's a mechanical wave, right, if you remember from your physics <laughs> class. So, you know, you need, you need an actual medium for sound to take place and music, of course, being sound. So we know that out in space, it doesn't sound like it things do on earth. But that's not what I'm getting at. I'm getting at a hidden meaning of sound. What is the vibrational energy of the universe, right? If, if music, right, is, music is just vibration. It's the transference of energy through medium. I, with a piano, I use my energy in my body to hit the note, hit the key. The hammer strikes the string. The string vibrates. That energy vibration vibrates the molecules of air around it those molecules vibrate and bump into each other till it hits my ear and turns into music that I, that my brain interprets, right? So it's the transference of energy that's taking place. But the whole universe, it turns out, is just an infinite spectrum of vibrations, frequencies, everything on every scale. So from the smallest scale, right, we've got subatomic particles, the smallest things that we know about, they're vibrating um, furiously, at the subatomic level, so inside molecules, inside atoms, right? We've got quarks, we've got bosons, we've got muons, we've got all kinds of crazy things in there, vibrating like crazy, just like kind of music in a way, right? And then on the grandest scale, we've got gravitational waves. These are massive undulations through space-time. This is like, you know, neutron stars exploding and rippling space itself. And they're actually like music. They actually measured one just a few years ago, and they said it was in the key of C because of its frequency pitch. So the whole universe is actually making music, but we just can't hear it in that same sense, right, that we do with, with our senses here. But there's a more hidden sense of what the universe kind of sounds like. And for me, that's what is the interwoven energetic expression of the universe? And to me, that's what I attempt to express in my music. So it becomes a lot, these layers, these interwoven harmonies and layers of music, which, and these patterns. And that's how I see the universe. You know, when I look at any object, whether it's a chair, a table, a tree, or a person, to me, it's just a particular organization of molecules. It turns out that everything in the universe is made up of the same stuff. Just think back to a basic chemistry you know, class. You, you look at anything on earth, it's pretty much made up of the same few elements. You got carbon, oxygen, you got hydrogen, nitrogen. I mean, that's what everything's pretty much made up of. Your body, my body, any of us listening here, made up of about five, six chemicals. And you know, it's mostly carbon, mostly oxygen, nitrogen, like that's it. You look at a tree, 
a tree is 90% carbon and oxygen. That's what it is. It's the same stuff. Of course, you know, we know what water, that, you know, water is most of the earth. It's made up of, of course, we know H2O, right? Hydrogen and oxygen. And anything around us, you know, your coffee cup, your lamp, your TV, it's all made up of very similar things. And it's a question of how those are vibrating together, how they're energetically connecting using the strong and weak force of, of, of in physics, right? That's how they're bonding. That's how they're yes. connecting with each other. And there's different kind of organizational rules, but they're all vibrating in different patterns. So you look at something like a tree or a person or uh, a sculpture, or you look at a cup or a plate or you know any object, and they're, they're like unique pieces of music because each one is its own organization of notes. Each one's its own organization of frequencies, literally, as it's not just poetic. You know, it sounds poetic. It sounds like metaphorical, but it really is that. Each one's its own unique expression. And nature has created some of them. People create some stuff, but ultimately it's all natural expression. We're expressions of nature at the same time. So it's this interwovenness. And, you know, we tend to think of ourselves as separate from nature, but we're not. We're, we're part of it. Just because we have the ability as human beings to self-reflect, it doesn't mean that we're not part of it. Just because we can kind of quote unquote control nature in some way, right? We can build skyscrapers and bridges and you know we can do things like that. Doesn't mean we're not at the mercy of nature at the end of the day, which we know we are, right? With whether it's climate change or whatever it might be. So it gives us that lesson of interconnectedness. Look at the pandemic, right? If you ever, if you thought we were separate and we can all do our own thing, well, look at the pandemic, what it taught us, right? The whole world is interconnected. What happens halfway around the world in China affects us here and on and on and on and on. The dominoes connect, it doesn't matter. Um, so you could try to be separate, but it's, it's truly impossible. Yeah, and, that, and that's what the sound of the universe, to me, when I say that, it's like, what are the hidden layers? Because our senses are only the tip of the iceberg, tip of the iceberg. And like any iceberg, most of it is under the water, under the surface, 10% above the water, 90% below, below the water, below the surface, like any iceberg. And our senses are just that, very limited, but that's our only access to reality, unless we build instruments. For instance, radio, right? Once radio was created, we can now sense another frequency level and we can communicate and transmit radio signals. But imagine, imagine experiencing radio a thousand years ago, you'd think it was some strange, magical, supernatural you know, phenomenon. But today we understand we just, our senses are limited to experience that, but with the right tools, oh, now we have access to that. Again, one little layer beneath the surface in the iceberg, take infrared, take microwave, take x-ray, take all these are frequencies that are not available to our senses unless we have some instrument on some tool. And that's gonna exist at an infinite level. The light we see, electromagnetic light, is a spectrum of frequencies, and you know, from, right, from uh, red on the low end to purple on the, on the fast end, on the high end. And then we can't see past that. We can't see infrared, we can't see ultraviolet. And that's our limit with our, with our eyes. Same thing with our hearing. We can hear to about 20 hertz on the low end, about 20,000 hertz on the high end, and that's it. But we know dogs can hear much higher frequencies. Other, other species can hear higher frequencies. Some species like sharks and dolphins have, have uh, sonar. They actually can emit elect electrical wave and bats can do the same thing and navigate through that. Many animals like bees can sense magnetism, the magnetic forces of the earth. And that's how they navigate uh, the earth through magnetism. We don't have that. So again, it's all about the hidden reality that's right around us, but our senses are not fine-tuned for that. Some other species are very powerfully. Um, they can see at night, for instance, you know, many animals hunt at night. They can see clear as day at night. We can't, uh, we, we can't process light that way. So just imagine what reality really looks like if you can take in all of these frequencies and spectrums and it would be a fantastical, orgasm of experience and stimulus. And we're just seeing a slice of it. 
and we call that reality, but it's our reality. It's certainly not the ultimate reality. And what I'm saying now, as infinite as it sounds, only scratches the surface because then we have things like dark matter, dark energy. Scientists, physicists are just getting to understand what that could be. It's still a mystery, but it represents 95% of the known universe. We only know what four or 5% is, is the stuff, the material stuff made up of molecules and atoms is only about four to 5% of the whole universe. The rest of it is, it's not just empty, it's dark matter and dark energy. And we're just getting to understand what that could possibly be. But in the same way that we didn't know what radio waves were a thousand years ago or 300 years ago, 200 years ago, we don't understand that today. But one day, I think we will. And then a whole new experience opens up for us and on and on and on. And it's infinite and you never get to the bottom. And that's what's beautiful. And you're using music to allow other people to experience these realities that maybe yeah. our senses, in a sense, can't always access every day through experiences like mind travel. I'm going to ask you to, to dive into that for a little bit for everyone listening. That is so cool. When you start to look at the universe in that way, in the sense of our senses are so, I mean, they're so incredible. We can do so much with them. Yes. But in a sense, they are so limited. And it's yes. like, what is our experience of reality in the grand scheme of things? It's easy to look around and say, okay, I truly am experiencing all that this universe and earth has to offer. But when you look at it that way, it's almost like the mysteries yeah. of the earth, the mysteries of the universe far outweigh our actual experience. And that's pretty epic. Yeah. You know, Patrick, if you want to go to another country, say, say you want to go to uh, Taiwan, okay? You want to go to China, you want to go to Japan, and you want to really have a good time there. Well, if you speak their language, you'll get a lot further you'll be able to communicate a lot better. Well, what if you want to get to know the universe? What language should you speak? Now, of course, you can say, well, I want to speak the language of science, right? Because if you speak the language of physics, if you speak the language of mathematics, you can start to understand the world better. Have you taken a calculus class, for instance, yet? I did. I did in school. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, what you really get from calculus, for instance, is that you can you now walk out in the world and you can see the world totally differently because you understand this notion of differentiation and derivatives and slopes and integrals and you start to you could almost see the world mathematically in that way well music because it's the language of vibration it speaks the language of the universe the universe is like we said all infinite vibrations and frequencies, just at different scales, subatomic levels, gravitational waves, cosmic levels. I want to speak the language of the universe to relate to the universe. So I'm going to speak the language of the universe, which is music and math. Okay. And because math is embedded in music. And so music is vibration. It speaks the language of the universe, but in a language we can hear because it's in the frequency range we can hear. So I'm almost acting in a way like a, I'm trying to be a translator, right? A journalist in a way of going out, trying to understand a glimpse of the universe, translating it through music into a language that we can all communicate in and understand. It's not just intellectual, it's emotional. And we can't divorce our emotions from the human experience. It's part and parcel of it. It's not something to just like push away or repress. It's something to embrace because it's so wonderful to be in that world of emotion and the mind coming together. It gives you a rich and full experience of life. And, and this is where mind travel comes in. Can you start to, to talk yeah. about that experience and what that entails, the richness, just like you're talking about, of an experience of undergoing that? So mind travel was my personal practice for many years since college, since I was studying music in college. And even when I was a kid, right, I described sitting down at the piano and just kind of playing and exploring. Well, from a, you know, from a young seven-year-old to now as an, as an adult, as a professional, um, I really do the same thing, just a lot more sophisticated now. But I will sit at the piano and I will start to improvise. And it just 
allows me to drop in to kind of get into that flow state, to get into that zone that we call it, right? Kind of being in the zone where time becomes elastic, time starts to fall away and you become one with that moment. And music is a, is a direct portal into that, not just for the person playing, but also for the person listening, right? If they're bringing their attention to it. Okay, not background music, like really attentive and focused on the music. Like we're all on the same train together. So what I did alone in my, in my home at my own piano is what I do publicly now, where I take people on these journeys. I sit at the piano, a real-time composition, an improvisation. Each one is different. I do my best to bring them into nature. So we'll do them, you know, in beaches and parks and, you know, magnificent nature locations. And then what I do is um, I pioneered a live piano headphone concert years ago. So the whole audience shows up, you know, say at, you know, Santa Monica Beach or Central Park, right? These epic locations around the country. And everyone gets a wireless headset, kind of like silent disco, you know, in a way. But I use it specifically for listening to my piano. So now you put the headphones on and you'll have hundreds and hundreds of people on the beach, in the park. Some of them are lying down, sitting down. Some of them are walking up and down the beach, standing in the water up, into the, up to their knees, taking in the ocean. And everyone has a front row seat to the music because it's coming in through the headphones. So it's very personal, it's very intimate. Yet you look around and everyone's having this personal, intimate experience, but then everyone is having it together. It's communal. We're all having our own individual experience in community. And that's the magic because I think that's the ultimate way to live. How do we express ourselves and move through life uniquely as the individuals we are? Because no one in the world is like you, Patrick, no one. And, and no one is like me and no one is like any of us. We're each so unique and, that, and we should be honored as such. And at the same time, there is an undeniable cohesion and interconnection of all of us. So we also wanna honor that and find the commonalities, right? Regardless of the superficial layers of difference, there, it's very easy to look at what uh, makes us different. It's very easy to look at what separates us. It's harder to look at what unites us, but the music can do that. You know, I've taken this experience, Patrick, to dozens and dozens and dozens of cities across this country and around the world. And the one thing that's so heartening, that's so beautiful, is that at the end of these mind travel experiences, we'll typically put everyone in a massive circle, sometimes hundreds of people. And we go around the circle and people share in the microphone, like a word or two, a phrase, a sentence of kind of what's going on for them, how they're feeling. And people share, like, I'm feeling universal connection. I'm feeling love. I'm feeling a bonding, not just with the person they came with, but with other people there, even though they didn't even speak to them. But you don't have to sit down and speak to someone for half an hour to get to know them. You can just have this kind of experience with other people and get the commonality that you have with them beyond, again, the superficial differences, beyond you know, race and religion and skin color. Because I, I have audiences that reflect the multitude of differences in society again, visually or, or superficially, but beneath that layer, beneath that surface is the common human experience, right? We all go through struggle. We all go through suffering at times, pain at times, right? And we all experience joy and we all experience the wonders, the richness, the riches of life. And that's where we can bond on that human journey that we all experience in our own unique way. And that's what this music does. It opens up that emotional portal for us to connect. And when you look at a world that's, of course, seems so divided, so polarized politically and in many other ways, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, those are easy to point to as the differences that can separate people. And but ultimately, if you, you can look deeper and there's things that do unite us even more, that's where I choose to look. When did you first realize that music could be that glue, in a sense, that thing in this world that ultimately allows us to connect when sometimes our senses, our eyes, our ears, when we hear the media tells us yeah. otherwise, tells us that we're more different as opposed to more right. similar? 
you know, I would say for me, that realization came in my time of struggle, right? When I went through heartache, when I went through feeling so separate, so uh, alone. Um, and I'm referring in particular, many years ago, I, I went through a tremendous uh, grief over the death of my little sister. She was 23. And it was a sudden and tragic accident. I was actually with her. Uh, it was in another country and it was a, just a horrible accident that I had to witness and be there for. So dealing with the trauma of that, but also of course, just the grief of, of my sister not being here anymore um, and, and dealing with that personally and as a family and all that. And an experience like that, it creates a separation within yourself. So when we're talking about feeling separate, like you, you don't even feel any unification or cohesion within your own self. And that is such a painful existence to have, being literally torn apart from the inside, right? When we say heartbroken, there's a literal aspect to that. Like I really felt my heart and my body was broken and my emotional state was broken. And my physical state is so tied to that. Like if you're feeling bad emotionally, how good can you feel physically? It's tough, right? Um, and vice versa. So all of it just felt very shattered. And so I was like, how do I pick these pieces up? How do I put these pieces back together? How do I reunify what seems so shattered and broken? And I turned to music. That's what I turned to because that's what I knew. I knew it was a language of emotion and the method was to play the pain out of me because if it stays within you, it keeps you broken, keeps you shattered. And so then you embody that, that shattering, that heartbrokenness. But if you play it out of you, the pain was released and the healing can begin. Those pieces can come back together. And in a way, you know, when our heart breaks, when our existence breaks, people talk about how that can allow the light to come in to your life. But I realize there's something even more powerful than that. And that's true because you're so vulnerable and broken that you can, you know, you, you feel the love of others come in. But there's something for me that was more profound, which was it actually opened up my shell, which I didn't even realize I truly had, but it broke the shell that was separating me from being my ultimate self, my truest self. So it allowed that crack in, in, in it allowed my light to actually come out and allowed my true essence, my real source, my real way of being to be expressed out and shared with others when it was bottled up inside. So I believe my, my, real, my truest greatness, my truest potential, my truest capacity was actually being suppressed. And this shattering, this heartbreak allowed it to come out in this new way. So while I wouldn't wish that kind of experience on anybody, ultimately we're all going to face heartbreak of some kind, of some level. The human experience is such that you can't escape it, whether it's a relationship heartbreak or the death of someone you love or whatever it is, like we're all gonna experience it at some point. The question is, how do we move through it? What are we gonna allow it to, to open us up into? Or are we going to try to distract from it? Put it, put it to the side, bury our head in the sand, just go you know, to socializing, social media, texting, you know, whatever, like just social media, right? No, it's, it's if you embrace it, if you go into it um, and then allow it to open you up and be your truest, greatest self. That is, that unification is what I realized music can do. And it healed me, like it, it healed me. And it didn't give me my life back, which is actually what I set out to do. I was like, how do I get my life back? No, it gave me a better life because it gave me a life that was more connective with myself and ultimately with others. And that's when I decided to actually do mind travel publicly to share this practice that worked for me with other people. Unbelievable. Thank you. Thanks, if you knew there was someone listening today who recently went through a really hard heartbreak and is in a state right now where they can either choose to allow these pieces in a sense to kind of lead them one way or allow that light to kind of shine through and, and as you beautifully said allow healing to occur what would you say to someone in that state right now 
What I would say is, hold on, know that there is that light at the end of the tunnel, even though it's impossible to see right now. I know that when I was fully in it, it seemed totally hopeless. It seemed like there was never going to be a way out. And then I was going to be in that pain forever, like forever. There was no sense. And no matter what anyone said, there was no sense that there was a path to ever being happy again, to ever feeling joyful again, to ever living a life that was enjoyable. It was really, it wasn't even a question. It was just like, I do not see that path. Like this is like my, the rest of my life is doomed because when you're so in it, you're, you're taken over and it, you're not even your true self. And that's, what's hard to see. You know, when I was in the throes of it, I really thought I was myself. And I was like, this is my, going to be my existence forever, but you're really not your, your same self and you're kind of taken over and you have to allow that to dissipate and move through. It's kind of like a wave in the ocean. Like there's no way to stop a tidal wave. Like you could, you know, you can't stop it. You just have to let it come through. And that's what you have to do with these kind of life experiences, whether it's grief or heartbreak or whatever it is, you got to let them move through you. You can't resist them. If the more you resist them, then it'll last longer. It'll just put up a fight. It's like, you know, the law of physics, right? Whatever, you know, whatever force has an equal and opposite reaction. And so you have to just let it move through you. And it's a roller coaster ride. Yes. <laughs> you know, right. Imagine getting hit by a massive wave. You're under the water tumbling and you think you're going to drown. You think you're never going to come up for air. But we all have that experience of like, oh, my God, I'm going to run out of air here. And what's going to happen? And then and then the wave moves through and then you can swim to the surface and get your breath. That's what it's like. You will be able to get to the surface and take that breath. There is a light. Just trust that it is there and allow the emotion, the pain to move through you. Allow, you know, if you need to cry it out, you cry it out. If you have friends to share it with, share it with friends. A professional, if you have a therapist that you can go to, you can do that. If you can't afford one, there's, there's um, resources for people who can't afford therapists. If it's something that's really got you down where you have any ideas about taking your own life or doing really damaging behaviors. But we're, we all go there at times in these really desperate times. And remember, don't judge yourself for it because you're not yourself. The person thinking that is really not you. It's this some part of you, which is temporarily um, thinking these things, but it's not really you. And it's okay to get help for it and not judge yourself for having those thoughts. So reach out and don't go through it alone. And even turning to music, whether it's mind travel or something else, to allow you to feel it out, that's the key. The more you allow it to move through you, that wave, and music allows it to move through you and it'll allow you to dissipate it faster. And then suddenly you'll wake up one day and you'll start to have a glimpse of your old self. And you'll smile every now and then, and then more frequently. And life will start to come back bit by bit. But just give it time and give it a process and allow it. And um, miracles do happen. Releasing everything. Everything. Yeah. Murray, thank you. I am blown away by everything you shared today. Absolutely, my pleasure. You know, I'm, I'm committed to freedom, you know, my own freedom and the freedom of others and in getting ourselves out of our own way. And that's really what this, this whole thing is about because to live a life with more freedom is to live a life with, you know, really ultimately more joy. And, and that's really what we're here to do. And that's, the, that's what's available. Really appreciate it. Likewise, Patrick, awesome. Our music today was created by current freelance producer and editor, Bruno Hometes Duarte. You can find more of Bruno's music at brunohd.com or check out his latest work on Spotify. Our unsung hero this week is current Las Vegas Raiders tight end, Darren Waller. After being suspended from the league for violating the NFL's substance abuse policy in 2016, Darren returned to football in 2018, a completely changed individual. More mindful, self-aware, and committed to living a life of truth every day. In 2020, 
He made his first Pro Bowl and continues to share his story of inner transformation all over the world. Thank you, Darren, for your unbelievable leadership talk this past week and encouraging me to prioritize self-love first above everything else. You can read more about Darren's journey at NFL.com and listen to his music on Spotify. And until we meet again, don't forget to keep living as you.